Hello and welcome to Can I Get a Picture? I'm your host, Soul Lovemore. Join me as I get to pick the brains of some extraordinary people, hearing their struggles and successes that have shaped who they are today. Today we're talking to Manny, manager to the stars and the founder of talent management agency, Muse Talent Group. He also heads up the branding and fashion partnerships at First Access Entertainment. His roster of clients includes supermodel Winnie Harlow, Manny's at the forefront of talent management and fashion and one of the most well-connected individuals I know. I hope you enjoy our conversation, which is filled with lessons on friendship, race and making it in the fashion world. Manny, welcome. Thanks again for agreeing to do this. I mean, I've known you for a number of years. I can't remember the last time I bumped into you. I think it was an, was it an event at Harrods? Uh... Most probably, but also a thing about me, which I'm still working on, is like my memory is literally like <laughs> not. Yeah. I will completely forget about things that I've done or things that I've seen until I have a flashback or someone mentions it. It's like it's really um, <clears throat> interesting, but like also it's because I think I'm always trying to. I don't like to dwell on the past. I really like to look towards like the future and like what's next and I feel like if you become like too ingrained in the past it just becomes this whole like nostalgic thing and 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 everything's always changing and moving so like I always try and like look forward and like not look back at the stuff that you've done but occasionally it's actually good to be like oh hang on a minute like you've done this 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 and it puts it all into perspective which is good but in terms of my memory I'm like I don't know I'm completely like I think I remember it, but I probably didn't and everything like that. My thing is that I've got so much better at remembering people's names. I think it's the most important thing. That's one thing I'm so conscious about is remembering people's names. A lot of stuff I can remember, but sometimes you meet people, then you forget a few names and you go, damn it, because it's so hard to go back and ask. You know, it's it's almost like not disrespectful, but it's not a... You know, it's not a good trait. So that's one thing I've I've definitely brushed up on in the last few years. For sure. I think, like, I'm always really good with faces and, like, pretty good with names. I think that's just purely from in my, in my job and my role, always in the background. So I see people who automatically will know the talent that I manage or, like, the VIPs that I'm with. And then pretty much give, like, don't really give much of a second glance towards like me as like somebody in the background. So I'm always very like cognizant of when, um, you know, recognizing people's faces because, you know, if you're always looking at like the star and stuff and you're just focused on that, then it's like, there's, there's people who go into create that persona and that star. So I'm always trying to like be very conscious of like recognizing like people's names and, and faces from behind the scenes. Now, I appreciate that. So guys listening, the moral of the story is don't always focus on the star. Also get to know the people who make them who they are. Now, with that said, Manny, let's um, let's roll back the years a little bit. Let's go to early life. So where did you grow up? What was family life like? In terms of early life, I grew up in the Midlands. I grew up in Coventry. Um, I don't remember too much about... Um, the time other than when we moved to London um, and I think London was so big and it was such a huge difference from being in Coventry and you soon became more um, 
I guess, street smart and lost a bit of the naivety that I had um, in Coventry because it was such a smaller town and area and London was just like a big place. I'm like first gen, I guess, of of Africans that were born in the UK. My mum and dad were born in Nigeria and they moved to the UK for work. So there was that balancing background of um, being very aware of my um, African heritage, but then also <clears throat> being part of a very new uh, culture, which was new to like my mom, my dad and us and, and the whole idea of like Britishness. And what would you say was your first hustle? Like how did Manny start making money when you were young? Was it washing cars, paper rounds? Yeah, um, I actually, uh, me and my brother had, uh, did the paper round for our local area. And I remember we had like a ton of newspapers that would come every week and we just, there was just too much volume. We couldn't deliver it, but it was good because we went around the area and we're like, would deliver papers and be like chased by dogs and stuff. And I think that the novelty soon wore off, but that was the first time of like earning like money, like by myself, which felt good. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I enjoyed, um, but paper run was a good hustle. I think it taught, it taught us all some good life lessons. And in terms of school and education, um, how did you find school? Would you say you're an academic type person or were you more entrepreneurial? What was your, what was your drive? Um, education wise, um, I guess I was like pretty academic. I wasn't like, uh, top of the class. I wasn't like bottom of the class. I was just kind of like comfortable. Um, I really liked English. I liked history and sociology, which I later went on to like focus on. Um, I think for me at the time when I was in school, um, the idea of working like in fashion or in entertainment was a bit too ambiguous for me. Um, any to see it as more than anything that was just a passing thing. Um, music was a really, really big spark for me at that age. And I remember me and my friends were like super heavy into grime and like super influenced by like hip hop and r state side as well. I love that you touched on saying the entertainment and fashion industry for you at the time seemed like a reach. So when would you say the first spark really came in terms of you actually looking at that and saying, oh, you know, this could become a career path for me? Um, it didn't really until I graduated from uni. Um, I I went to university and I studied sociology. And when I finished university, I was then had that uh, big question mark over what is it that I wanted to do. Um, so that was a little bit of a challenge. And so for me, becoming um, a talent manager was completely unexpected. It wasn't something that I thought of or thought was even like a viable option but as I started my journey um, to, to where I am now I've realized that it had uh, there was a specific flow to it and everything that I had done before had complemented everything that was coming up that I'd previously done so it felt like I was on that path but just without realizing it um, for me it took it took years it took like experience like lots of practice like a lot of mistakes but it was always reassuring because they felt like there was a upward trajectory to where I was going it's like you know when you start practicing something and then after a while you get good at it so then you want to practice more and more so it was a step by step so uh when I graduated from uni I began to intern at uh fashion companies 
Uh, from there, I got a full-time job doing PR. And as I was doing PR, it would probably like last about just under a year, about 10, 11 months at all of these roles. And then I would basically uh, move on. I would be like really, really hungry to grow and learn. Um, and I recognized quite early on that change was good because every time I like moved on from one PR um, company to the other, there was a slight step up. Whereas I realized that people who stayed in the same place just kind of stayed a little bit stagnant. Um, so yeah, I just think I, I, I used to get the itch at every place I went because I, I liked the jobs that I was doing, but I liked parts of it and I wanted to do more than in my job description. So, you know, like in, in PR, like I'd, I'd always be very visual. And so I love everything that would be to do with that creative, but then, you know, I'd enjoy dealing with press or with VIPs, but then I also like selling. So I was confused at what job would allow me to combine both. And I think because of that, I was very, um, that's where I had the itch um, whenever I was at a company to like move and try and find something which I wasn't sure existed. How did your parents take it? Because I can I can attest to this as well, being having an African heritage. You know, my family are originally Zimbabwean and we kind of have the same, you know, where in Africa it's kind of like doctor, lawyer, you know, <laughs> there's accountant. There's almost like a technically a window of where your parents expect you to become. So I just wanted to ask you how how your parents were. And I totally hear you. And it was exactly, exactly that. My sister, older sister, is a lawyer. My twin brother um, studied uh, computer science, so he's like an engineer. And I was going to be the uh, doctor. So I was, I always like loved biology. So that was like my path that was pretty much like set out from from birth after I was like interested in like medicine. So then, uh, um, what basically happened? It was quite funny. It was during um, I had applied to do biomedical science originally at university. And I needed, I think, an AAB, and I got an ABC. So I was on the course, so I had to go through clearing. And I could have done biomedical science elsewhere, but the university that I really wanted to do it at, um, that I didn't get the grades for, I was, um, because I, I wasn't going to do it there, I didn't want to do it everywhere. So I saw it as my opportunity to basically do a complete, free, like, 180 and, do something which <clears throat> I was really passionate about. And sociology was something that really interested me because I was, it was just about like how society like influences, like, you know, and shapes like us, our behavior, our life and everything. My mom was at the time a social worker. So I was really interested in like what she was doing. So, and I was always quite like empathetic. Uh, I had a lot of empathy, should I say. Um, so it was something that was just a natural fit. So I completely 360, uh, changed my course, went on to do sociology at university. And I think that time, like when you got your A-level results and I got the ABC, like it was so, it was so traumatic that at that stage, my parents were just like, just get to any university. <laughs> and I think after that, I was like, oh, okay. So I can pretty much like do like follow my passions which was uh, which was interesting i'm sure today they're very proud of everything you've achieved um so to go back to becoming a talent manager obviously as you said you've finished university you've started interning at different uh, pr agencies taking up different roles 
which then obviously leads to your your hunger really i should say of where do you go from there okay so about that time so when i was always uh working as i said earlier there was always um bits outside of the job description which didn't apply to the role i was in but i was really interested in so i doing a lot of freelance stuff on the side whilst I was in like a full-time job. Um, and so I was assisting on uh, a freelance label project, which was to organize a dinner for a US um, recording artist. And it was, she, uh, she was called Kerry Hilson and she had her song called Pretty Girls Rock. And she, and they wanted to do like a whole like Pretty Girls Rock dinner, which I was organizing because I was very like her team and her label and prior to me interning in fashion I used to intern um, at a record label I, I interned at Sony Music and Atlantic so I still had a very like really close relationship with the people there so I was organizing this dinner and through a mutual friend is how I met um, Jordan Dunn and I had invited her to the dinner and she came to the after party that we had and I remember at the time I was just in a kind of in disbelief at how like normal um, and like beautiful and like just like she was. Um, she was the biggest model, new model around at the time, and she had just had a baby and she was starting to get back into work. And it was it was such like a, a nice and pleasant experience that um, we ended up becoming uh, a lot closer, and then I guess naturally transitioned into. Um, working together which uh was interesting but um at, at the time i still had my full-time job so everything i was doing was just like uh just fun and friendship really so again it wasn't really something that i thought could be a viable full-time option um so from working with her um i got exposed to uh, model agency which was storm models at the time which um then was like the biggest like uh agency in the uk and from there met cara delavine they had worked together on a burberry shoot and we immediately clicked and then it kind of became like a little hangout between the three of us and then it's from there i got exposed to a lot of opportunities because both of those girls were the biggest thing in modeling at the time We'll come back to, to Jordan, Cara and, and the girls. I've got a few questions on that. But what would you say was kind of like the biggest barrier to entry into that whole fashion entertainment world? I think at the time, it was just the fact that there was such a, a definite a sense of hierarchy in all of these places. I remember when I was interning at the record label and, you know, when it used to come to, say, um, an artist would have a concert there was a very definite line of people who would be invited. Whereas I thought, oh, everybody from the team would be invited. But it's like, no, it's like the directors, the label managers, and maybe the like assistants, and maybe the juniors, and maybe the interns type thing. Um, and there was always a sense of like, there were so many people like ahead of you and on top of you, and you just pretty much wait your turn. And I think around the time it was like, well, you know, just because like I don't have the experience, but I have the enthusiasm and I don't see why that should be um, a barrier to, you know, being able to be accessed to the same type of opportunities. Like, you know, it's like, I think that was um, 
that was a, a challenge as well. It was just that, you know, the fact that you're the youngest on the team meant that, you know, you weren't always given the, I guess, like respect. But then at the same time, you know, I guess like people who are like new and like starting on the team, they have like a different uh, perspective. They have a different experience, like which, um, and ultimately they're closer to like youth culture, which is the, which is who you're trying to attract with your art, with your audience. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of value in that. And I think, you know, the status quo at the time was to just wait your turn and just to go through the ranks. And I think the people who I grew up with in the industry were like, well, you know, why do I have to wait like 10 years in order to have this experience? Why don't I create my own? Or why don't I do this? And, and, and it felt like there was a whole sense of like, people not letting their age um, necessarily be used as a disadvantage and kind of making it to their advantage, which was cool. Tell me a bit about the founding of Muse Talent Group and how you kind of, you know, what was the inspiration behind it and how you ended up going, you know what, I'm going to do my own thing. How did, how did you arrive at that point? It was in a number of ways. Uh, so... So as I said, I've been doing a lot of projects on the side and I was still working on a full-time job. Um, so I, I wasn't dependent on the financial aspects of the stuff I was doing on the side because for me, I was just doing it for fun and I didn't realize it was a genuine and valid career. Um, so it was actually um, by chance. Um, I was fortunate to know um, Edward Enninful, who I consider to be like the great in the industry. Uh, at the time he was like just a, a revered stylist who did like covers for Italian Vogue, American Vogue and he had just been at W Magazine so he was like moving to the US and you know he, through my relationships with Karen Jordan I remember we, we had a conversation and sat down and he was like I see you as being like a type of creative director figure and then I think it just clicked and I didn't realise that you know, I'd be able to like do something like that. But then once I looked at stuff I was doing with the girls and with other artists, I just thought actually what he's saying is something that uh, I really want to do and I'm really passionate about. And so I was thinking of a name for a company and, you know, throughout my career, I've been influenced by women. And I think, you know, I owe my my successes, my first starts um, to women. Like in, in working in fashion, it's like a, a female-dominated uh, industry. And, you know, from even from my like family background, uh, my mom and my dad, they have so many sisters. So I've, I've always been around like women and just like being like really, you know, appreciative of the kind of, uh, women that I've had in my life who have given me like my first start so um, to me they are like my muses they're my inspirations I'm like you know like <laughs> obsessed with them I think like you know my everything from personal to work has been down like women so when I decided to name my company Muse Talent Group it was like purely for that uh, because I wanted it to be quite uh, I guess a homage to um some of the strong women who have been in my life. Definitely a women appreciation moment that I'm sure I'll definitely use as a soundbite. 
playing devil's advocate, why not? Why doesn't Manny go, mm, I'm going to go and work for one of the bigger players, the CAA or, you know, whoever in the industry who kind of already have all the resources and all the best talent and you can just kind of slot in and show your talents. Why not do that versus you choosing to do music? I'm uh, at a stage where, like, I've I've been approached by the different agencies that are amazing and that would be great and I could potentially, like, work at. But for me, I always want to have Muse and I, and I plan to always have Muse regardless. And that's not to say that I won't, but I think uh, it's just in terms of what conversation. I do like the... Um, the independence that I get, uh, being able to like have my own company and to work for myself and to work for other companies as well. Um, so, but then also, you know, no, no man is an island, as they say, and it's not something that I would um, <clears throat> completely turn my nose in. But I think in this day and age, I think it's important to have something which um, is something that you own and. I think because of the reason that, you know, my inspiration behind the name and the reason that I set it up, it's something that's just deeply personal. And I think it goes back to my experience, you know, working for uh, big companies and organizations and always feeling that there was something that was missing. And I think Muse, that's something which um, has filled the gap. But then also, I am at First Access Entertainment, um, which is, um, uh, I guess it feels like a startup um, going around. It's been going on for um, five years now, um, previously called Turn First. And it's amazing. Again, it's like female-led and female-run from their CEO to like the EVPs that they have on the team. And it's a very kind of exciting proposition. And I felt like it was a good fit for myself and Muse uh, to be affiliated with this uh, company and organization. So yeah, it, it, it just depends. But I think for me, um, Muse is always going to be something that I'm going to keep. And it's something that I just want to build and expand upon and grow. You know what is brilliant? Um, I actually wanted to touch on the fact of what you said there's, yes, you've built your own company, but then actually you've gone, hey, first access, there could be, you know, there's an opportunity here where I could continue to run Muse, but work with these guys. And it's almost that that importance of, as you said, no man is an island. I also wanted to ask you in regards to Jordan, Cara, and now obviously Winnie as well. You've met Jordan, you've met Cara, you've started working with them. How does that then develop from, as you said, just hanging out and doing stuff with your friends? Because that's essentially that's what they are first they became your, your genuine friends but then how does that mold and develop into a, a a personal and a working relationship i think uh the most important thing is like uh boundary setting so um, with Corin jordan being with uh both being with storm models in london um i was able to develop a really close and strong relationship with storm and so from there we were able to basically pencil out um a role for me um which would involve like working with their uh their girls and their special bookings and stuff um 
I think the main thing was um, it's that instance where an agency has been working with um, a client and then someone new comes in the scene and there's a lot of apprehension uh, or what. So I think the first thing was to basically make myself known to their agencies and then to then establish my own like personal relationship with those agencies just so that they know it, it, I wasn't there from a place of trying to be like threatening or, or trying to like take like their job opportunities or anything more like to be an assist and <clears throat> so, and, and and also doing that was able to um I guess it was able to make it more professional in a way because obviously when you do have a friendship um lines can be blurred and things can get um there's a whole gray area that's with that so being able to um you know set some kind of like a ground rule shall i say or like stuff like that made it very clear on terms of like what everyone's role was in the business and in the operation and stuff uh which was good so and from there i just wanted to to do more and 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 to like <laughs> experience more and i was just i was very uh ambitious i would say one thing I've taken from that is the power of investing in people and actually building real and genuine, genuine relationships. And I think you are a, a great example of that because you meet, you meet Jordan, you meet Cara, you're in this world, you know what they do for a living. They are the biggest people in fashion, but you didn't just think, Oh, let me piggyback and see what I can maneuver with them. You built a friendship, which then, as you said, you were working for them. You're not making any money. You're helping them with work stuff. But for you, you're enjoying it. It's, it's the experience and the exposure. And as friends in turn, I'm sure they can sit there today and say they're super happy because they knew you being exposed to all these opportunities. You were a smart enough character and, and a great and a great person that naturally you would, you know, take the opportunities that you were given. For sure. But then at the same time, I recognize that a lot of it, there's so much like a, a luck to it. And I feel very fortunate to have been in the, position and situations that I was in and I think it got different the landscape is completely different now in terms of how somebody would get started as opposed to how I got started so I, I, I do recognize that there is that privilege at the same time but you know I think the main thing is is I think the friendship developed first before the working relationship and then it basically fell hand in hand so again like it didn't feel forced and it didn't feel like um you know like people were trying to like you know use each other I think it, it was very like uh genuine to see and I think in, in situations where it doesn't feel genuine um that's you know where certain people have problems so you also need to be mindful about what the true intention is because I didn't set out to you know, become friends with two supermodels in order to build my own career. Um, to have friends with them because, you know, their personalities was a great fit with my personality and everything developed from there. So I think that was, uh, that's also really important. How do you go about branding, marketing yourself to stand out in this space? Because obviously, yeah, you've got these relationships that have then given you opportunities to work with Storm and all these different brands and, and partnerships but how did you as an individual kind of learn to to market and brand yourself because for me I think you're one of the most known people in fashion even in 
in London, probably New York, everywhere. If you if if you mention Manny, your name, people will go, yeah, I know who that is, even if they don't know you personally, but you're very, very well known. So I just wanted to ask you how you managed to create such a great brand and reputation as an individual. Thank you. <laughs> it doesn't really feel like that to me, but I think when it comes to um, branding, it's not one thing which... It's always that difficult thing where when I um, am sitting down with a client and I'm talking about their brand, I'm very clear on, you know, the things that they should be utilizing and what they should be doing in order to how to like really clear, like identify their brand. It's 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 so much um, harder to do it for yourself as it for me anyway than it is to do it for other people. Um, but you know, in terms of my brand, it's all about very like, you know, strong women who have like an interesting point of view. Um, it's it's definitely like, you know, I focus my focus is a lot on like black women, black models in particular, but then also it's about like, you know, really like interesting, like uh yeah, really interesting voices and people who have um a different point of view. How have you found uh, breaking racial barriers? You know, you're currently, in my eyes, you're currently part of kind of the change, which is seeing the models of colour become household names. You know, Jordan becoming a Victoria's Secret angel. I'm not sure Winnie has been an angel yet. So currently, Naomi Anderson is a Victoria's Secret angel. You know, fashion and like the model industry, it's it's so interesting and it's 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 like fascinating really in terms of how they operate you know it's an industry that's on its head in terms of like women earn out earn men by a lot and rightly so they do like incredible incredible work but also when you look at you know the breakdown of who is actually like you know getting paid what they should pay it's still black models that are like you know basically still being discriminated against uh, for want of a better word you know it was like you know, it's said that a black woman is the most disrespected person in the world. It's like, and it, it kind of does run through to the modeling industry as well. Um, there was a poll I remember that The Guardian did um, quite a while ago in 2016, and they were looking at the fashion ad campaigns, and they only found that 8% of the featured models in the ad were black. So it's like, there's like a, there's very deep inequality that still runs through the fashion industry. But um, that can be skewered when you look at, you know, the likes of Naomi Campbell, the likes of Jordan Dunn or Joan Smalls or Winnie Harlow, who have a very clear, like, presence in the industry. But then for those girls to get to where they, they've got to, they've worked, like, you know, twice as hard, if not more, to get there, to kind of, to fight for their place, like, in that industry. So... You know, for every like Naomi or Winnie or Jordan, there's like you know hundreds and hundreds of like nameless other black models who are really going through it and you know working around the clock to try and like build like um, a platform or to build like an audience. And so it's it, it's like really tough. And I think when I was first getting into the industry, and I realized such the huge like uh, I guess disparity. In that, it was something I decided to take on and basically see how I could be a change and help be a change or help, you know, contribute to part of the conversation. So, yeah, I think it's really important that, 
you know, there are more like ethnic models in the industry and there are more black models and there are more like black house, uh, black models who are household names and who are getting those big jobs and getting rightly paid for it. And so that's one of my like biggest things now. And it kind of <clears throat> working in that industry unlocked a little bit of like an activism towards me. And now it's something which like I'm so deeply passionate about and I'm the person in the meeting that's like, okay, well, this brand wants to work with my client. Okay, but who else have they worked with that's been black? And, you know, how often do they work with black audiences? Because, you know, now a lot of the time, a lot of people, um, we call it like window dressing, where they can put like, oh, this well-known black model in the front of something. But, you know, if you look at it internally, like it's a, all white team of like photog uh, photographer, hair, makeup, stylist, production, in-house. It's like, okay, but this is just how, like, are you really trying to be an advocate or you're just trying to jump on the bandwagon or you're just trying to follow a trend? And I think it's really, really important to, to hold people accountable and, and to hold businesses accountable and to be like, well, are you trying to work with my client purely because they've got to, where they are or are you trying to work with my client because you know <clears throat> you're trying to bring about a change in the industry yeah no and, and I, I do agree with you that it is down to you know even individuals like yourself having influence but also the gatekeepers who run you know who run these industries and the decision makers to actually go guys look we need to make a change internally because it would be naive to think that it's only the the models that are facing these these racial discrimination challenges probably as you said it's kind of like systemic it's across the board whatever part of the fashion industry you're in really yeah it's everywhere i mean even when edward got made the editor-in-chief of british vogue um I, there was so there was so much backlash around it but then previously the former editor you know if you looked at like her reign i think you know she'd only ever put like you know only a couple of models on the uh, models of color um on her cover during her like 18 plus year reign at the title like when they did like her editor's letter and she put the staff who was um working for the magazine at the time it was all white faces and so it was like is there any is there any wonder that you know when you look at the magazine you don't see any like ethnic difference when you know when everybody who works behind the scenes in the magazine you know the editor herself they're not really like working towards pushing like diversity and it's not even to push diversity as if it's a quota um but you know if we're looking at like for like you know are you trying to say that black people and people of color don't meet the qualifications to be part of this like magazine no like but <laughs> so then why is that reflected in the magazine so why isn't that reflected in the you know it's like uh yeah it's questions that you know I, I think fashion is good because fashion has always been um a comment on you know the times that we're in and you know it can be very like you know provocative but it, it, like it has a message and uh i think it's important to just practice what it preaches basically and so with the work that i do like i always want to push um my like models anyway um but yeah it's like um 
we have a transgender model who is like a superstar but then you know for me like her her presence in the fashion industry and her voice is so important as is a black model um as is you know like people who are really like uh challenging the voice or the perception of what traditional beauty is because traditional beauty in the fashion industry has been very white centric and you know so many like uh different types of beauty and so being able to highlight some of that in some of the work we do and the brands we work with um has really really been uh inspiring to me your work has taken you all over the world i mean i see you traveling all the time what's the one place you would say you you love going to whether it's for work or personal for me for a turn up time miami i love Miami. If it was a place I'm currently based in New York, even though I'm moving now, but if I could be based in Miami and still be able to like do work, I would be in Miami. I just love it. It's like something which like is literally my favorite place in the US. But then outside of that, I was really fortunate enough to travel to India last year. And it was like so, so special because like I'm very into like yoga and like uh, it's like spirituality and so like it's like the home of that and so being able to to be in India was like so so um like amazing for me and then on my bucket list which I, I still somehow haven't managed to go to yet is um Brazil I'm like so ready to go to Brazil it's like I'm like, it's definitely on the bucket list, but I would say India was like pretty special to me. Miami, every time I go there, I always love, love, love going there. And also uh, like Tokyo, I've been to uh, Japan quite a few times just in the last uh, three years. And it's a country which I'm just always like blown away by. Yeah, Brazil's on the list for me too, to be fair. And also, obviously you get to work with these supermodels and you get to be in these amazing rooms. What's like the craziest story you've got an experience that you you kind of sit back even yourself you kind of think of sometimes and laugh back again there's like too many to to tell two special ones involve beyonce because I am obsessed with beyonce and I've been so fortunate enough to uh first uh went to her new year's Eve party that she did uh one year in miami uh jay z and that was really, really special. And me and Jordan Dan and Joan Smalls um, were there. And it was around the time she had <clears throat> the release of her album. And it was just like really good vibes. And it was just like so surreal to be there because the party was super, super intimate. And being able to kind of like talk to your idol was like crazy. And then there was another time when <clears throat> Beyonce had her uh, concerts at the O2 in London and she did like a private dinner and she invited um, myself and Jordan because we had just worked on Jordan being in the video. And so we went to dinner with literally six of us in total, two of them being Beyonce and Jay-Z and just was there the whole entire night, just like literally just talking about everything, like like love, relationships, like it it was literally one of those moments that I'm just like, how am I sat in a room and we're talking so normally and we're all pretty drunk. It was like amazing. But yeah, I'm so, so 
grateful uh, for the experiences. And I think, you know, in the industry, it's, it's so important to like practice gratitude because <clears throat> a lot of the times you can, it's, it's very easy now to become quite jaded. And, you know, it's those moments that you really uh, appreciate, like, that you're in and you just feel like super grateful for everything so those two of, of like more but those two because like i'm obsessed with beyonce's that i'm sure you've got a catalog that will probably need another hour for so but um but manny thank you so much uh for coming on our closing question to all our guests who come on is who is the one person that inspires you that you'd love to have your picture taken with and why um to have my picture with okay so right now I'm in this thing where I'm trying to like read everything I can on the writer Toni Morrison. Um, <clears throat> so she was the author of Beloved um, and several other books, um, Pulitzer Prize winning. And I've occasionally seen her conversations come up on YouTube and, it's, and they've been so inspiring. And she has such a way with words that is just beautiful. And she talks about racism and she talks about those topics that are very uncomfortable topics and she speaks it in such a way that it's just like uh, it, it, it feels like poetry and so I would really really like to have a picture with her and also like a conversation and a chat and just be like tell me everything thanks again to Manny for taking the time to chat with me and thank you all for listening if you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Can I Get a Picture Pod, and we'll be back again next week for another episode.